We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. AB is teaming up with Tom Brady once again. How good is this class of rookie wide receivers and what do the Cowboys do now? We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Boy, Matt, another uh, another tough one for Dallas. How are you doing? I'm I'm fine. Uh, I'm numb at this point. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, what like what what is there what is there to say? You know what actually I'm going I'm going to derail the show just a little bit. Sure. Um I thought about posting this on Twitter, uh, but I realized I kind of didn't want to deal with it there. So maybe I can just say it here and uh it will just kind of go into the ether and some people will hear it, they might agree with it, they might disagree with it, but they're probably not going to come at me on Twitter. Um so there was the dirty hit. At least I would say it was a dirty hit 
uh, by John Bostic yeah. on Andy Dalton when Dalton was going down to slide. And I, I should say, like, I feel like it's incredibly hard to be an NFL defender just because, like, you know, you don't always know if a quarterback's going to go down. Sometimes you just have to start, like, committing to the tackle before the guy gets into a slide. So, you know, like, that said, like, defenders are in a difficult decision uh, or position. And I, but I still think that was, you know, probably a dirty hit. Um, anyway. Mike McCarthy, head coach of the Cowboys, uh, after the game, said that he was disappointed in his players for not, quote-unquote, like, defending Dalton. Uh, And then there were a lot of media types. We're recording this on Monday. There were a lot of media types uh, this morning and last night saying that um, they were, you know, sort of, like, embarrassed of the Cowboys or, like, it's a sign of weakness in the team that, uh, you know, they didn't, like, defend their quarterback. And, like, I just kind of want to examine this a little bit. Like, one... Mike McCarthy has absolutely no room to uh, lecture his players at all about anything that has to do with accountability. Like that guy has not been accountable for anything since he got hired as coach. Like he needs to fix everything that he is responsible for before even going at the players for things that are relatively tangential. Like if they're doing everything else that they need to be doing fine, then get on them for uh not retaliating which by the way that's what we're talking about we're not talking about defending we're talking about retaliating and like defending would be like if your quarterback is in a fight then everyone on the team should go to try to intervene to try to make sure he doesn't you know get beaten up to try to separate him whatever that's defending this is just a guy lying on the ground. It's not like Dalton was on the ground and then someone jumped on him and started hitting him, right? So we're not talking about defending a quarterback. We're talking about retaliation, right? And, and like, there might be, like, people might not really think of those things as two distinct things, but they they definitely are. I'm 100% on like, hey, like, you're a team you always need to be defending each other, right? That's 100%. The retaliating thing, that's slightly different. And what I would say is that like Zeke kind of mentioned this after the game, someone asked him about it and he said like, what good is it going to do the team? uh, If I go start a fight and then get kicked out and like, yes, that is a, a perspective to have. And I would say uh, in a tight game in a competitive season, that's the perspective players should have. You know, like, yeah, you have to do what you need to do to win the game, like maximize your long-term success, right? The thing is, when Dalton got laid out, the Cowboys were two and four on the season and they were losing 22 to three in a game. Like at that point, like fucking retaliate, you know, like. Someone just laid out your quarterback. Like it's not the it's not the most long term EV thing to do, but like show some spine, you know, like show some spirit. Like, yeah, go go retaliate, go start a fight. Like that guy had it coming to him. So like I don't think it's that like, oh, you need to defend your quarterback, but it's like, do you guys care about more than just a paycheck? You know, like actually show that you care about not sucking at your job. Cause right now, like a, a team that doesn't even have a name is beating you guys, you know, like that's anyway, I just had to, I just had to get that off my chest. Wow. I, that clearly has been festering for quite a while um, within you. Um, 
I definitely think that there's a big distinction between retaliating and defending. Um, I'm not and by gonna, the way, yeah. I'm, I, and I should just say, I'm not saying like go take out the guy's kneecap or something like that. I'm not saying like that. I'm, I'm not saying like don't be dirty about it, but I'm saying like let him know. Like, like let let the league know. Yeah, you don't pull that shit. Like, Bostic has it coming to him. That was an incredibly dirty play. Like, they should have let him know immediately that that was out of line. Yeah, and this is, I feel like, for me as somebody so far removed from this situation, from being an NFL player to know what that situation's like, but you would kind of expect that you you know there'd be a lot of people up in Bostic's face immediately after that you know regardless I think if even if it was the quarterback but on a play where the slide had been initiated and like you said it's hard to know how these defenders are supposed to react like I, I don't know when you're moving as fast as they are and you're lining up to hit somebody you know what it's like to try to stop that momentum um but Let's move into the fantasy side. <laughs> Wait, you don't you don't want to talk about this longer thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying. To, no, I'm, let, let's get in. Let's get into yeah, the show. I was trying to find some good way to. But, well, it's it's interesting, right? Because it, it is like a relevant topic. But you know, given that we're in week seven, heading into week eight, you know, there's only so long. I feel like we should spend on it. So it's let's do it's it. not rel- It's not relevant to anything. <laughs> right. All right. So, um, it's unclear if Dalton is going to be back. Um, and. and you know, it's hard to even frame this just because, God, this team is really struggling, man. But obviously, uh, let's just let, let's just make this question easier. Let's just say that uh, we have Ben DiNucci in next week for the Cowboys. Are you still playing Amari Cooper? Are you still playing CeeDee Lamb? Yeah, so I'm, I'm not playing Lamb. Uh, I think you do play Amari Cooper. And uh, I'm writing right now the wide receiver cornerback matchup piece. And, you know, he's probably going to go against Darius Slay, which is not a great matchup. So you you do have to downgrade him. But, uh, I mean, even last week, uh, you know, in a game in which he was playing mostly with Andy Dalton, uh, he had a pretty decent performance. You know, in every game this year, uh, he's had, I think, at least 75 yards and uh, seven targets, except for one game. Uh, but that was the game against Bradbury, uh, who shadowed him. And, you know, Amari can struggle when he's going against a a tough, you know, shadow corner. And that's what he has this game uh, in Darius Slay. So, I mean, you have to downgrade him. But I, I also think if you have Cooper, you probably don't have three other wide receivers or who are like all clearly better than him. Maybe you have two guys. And so it just depends on your league format, but you probably don't have three receivers who are all better than him. Like in an obvious way, I think he's still a wide receiver too. Got it. And let's just take a quick second here to answer the question that I've seen floating around, which is, are, should people being be worried about Ezekiel Elliott and what his production could look like moving forward with the Cowboys, potentially in far less situations where they're going to be able to punch, uh, you know, touchdowns in? Yeah, I've I've been worried about Zeke for you know like two weeks. Um, what we saw out of him uh, in Week Six, I think, was a very lucky situation where he was able to save his day in PPR by getting ten targets. But he still had only 31 yards on those 10 targets, and he had only 49 yards rushing on 12 carries, like a a season low 12 carries. It's pretty much what he did again in week seven. 
uh, 45 yards on 12 carries. But then, of course, he didn't have that target volume because, like, how many how many games in a season do you think Zeke is going to get 10 targets? Like, that's just a very unlikely outcome. What is likely is that he's not going to see uh, many goal line opportunities in an offense that isn't anywhere close to peak capacity because of the quarterback situation, but then also because, like, they're missing, like, their six the top six offensive line linemen. Like if you're counting guys who have retired and like over the past years, like it's just like this offense is not anything close to what it, it would be in theory if everyone's there. And given that's the case, no Zeke. Uh, I mean, he shouldn't be anywhere close to the top five in terms of like how you rank him. Uh, and I would say in, in season long leagues and redraft, if you have the opportunity to trade Zeke to someone who still thinks that he's uh, in a good situation, then do it. Even if it's like, Oh man, I can't believe I'm trading Zeke for James Connor or whatever, like do it. Uh, Zeke for Christian McCaffrey. If the Christian McCaffrey owner is like, oh, I'm I'm worried about him missing a couple more games. Like, make the trade. I, I don't think Zeke is worth nearly what everyone else does. Wow, this man has definitely had his decaf coffee today. Uh, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles once again. It feels like every week where we're looking at the injuries, we are talking about them. Deshaun Jackson gets back into action ends up suffering an ankle injury. He's going to be out five to eight weeks. I think we're left at the same situation we were at before. I think Travis Fulgham is going to be an option that you can more or less count on on a weekly basis than behind him. You're going to see Greg Ward and Jonathan Tower sprinkle in here and there. Um, OBJ out for the season. So let's take a minute and talk about Cleveland and what happens now. Um, yeah, I mean, in Cleveland, I think they're going to rely obviously much more on Jarvis Landry. I'd say more on the, the two tight ends. Uh, and you know, maybe Donovan Peoples Jones kind of gets a little bit of a shot. Um, you know, he was an intriguing guy going into college, uh, intriguing coming out of it and that he, although wasn't productive in college, um, was, young uh and had a great athletic profile you know normally those guys don't hit but you know sometimes they do um so he's someone who's interesting but uh, you know i would say for the most part we're still going to see an offense that continues to funnel through the running game and the running backs and the tight ends and so i don't know if much changes which sounds very weird to say because i, I think beckham is you know like a top 10 wide receiver in terms of talent but he just hasn't had the production to match his talent uh especially since uh he went from New York to Cleveland. Uh, and so I don't think much actually changes. Interesting. All right. Um, a note that I have here, Deontay Johnson uh, hurt his ankle. I think he did actually finish the game, though. It's unclear if he's going to be available um, next week. Feels like we end up talking about the Steelers wide receivers every week now. <laughs> so let's just do it. Seeing as we brought up Johnson, um, Johnson looking like he is the clear first option, but we did yeah. see Juju back bounce back now getting more involved. Chase Claypool kind of disappeared. Just thoughts on what we can glean from the weekend. So the underlying usage uh, for Claypool, although he didn't get targets, like at least, you know, that he's, he's the guy out there. Like he's not really splitting reps with James Washington all that much. 
So there's a pretty clear hierarchy between those top three and then James Washington as a rotational receiver at this point. Uh, It was good to see Juju get 14 targets. It was not so good to see him get only 85 yards on 14 targets. Um, At the same time, that's pretty much like right in keeping with what he had been doing uh, for the first, you know, five games of the season. So uh, on a per target basis, it's disappointing. I guess it was just nice to see him get the targets, but uh, you know, he had at the peak before that eight targets in a game. So 14, that's just like an outlier type of uh, type of performance. I don't really see him approaching that number consistently throughout the season. I think it's going to be more in that like five to nine target range. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge, huge amount of targets. Interesting thing on Juju is for as bad as it's felt, he still managed to come in at wide receiver 32 on points uh, PPR per game. Definitely not what you were hoping for. uh, But of course, he's going to come out with this performance right after we tell people it's fine to, to sit him. Jeff Wilson could be out multiple weeks. 49ers backfield, man, it can't stay healthy, but it's continually producing points. Um, If he's out and Tevin Coleman doesn't return, it looks like it has to be Jermichael Hasty. Yeah, but I mean, why not Jerk McKinnon? Okay, yeah, that's right. McKinnon's available too. Um, like McKinnon, he's he's still alive. Um, and uh, yeah, today it looks like the 49ers put uh, Jeff Wilson on injured reserve. So he's out for at least three games, um, but it might be a more significant absence. So um, uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, I think I read a report saying that the plan is for them to take it easy on McKinnon uh, in week seven. So, you know, maybe... They're planning on ramping him up in week eight, and he plays ahead of Jamichael Hasey, who didn't really get much action until after Wilson was injured, and at that point, the game was out of hand. So I don't know if it's like necessarily clear that Hasty is the guy moving forward. Like it, it could be a situation where, just like Jeff Wilson did nothing the past couple of weeks and then came from nowhere to lead the backfield this week, um, it could be a situation where you know McKinnon does nothing and then all of a sudden in week eight he's the lead back you know like it's just hard to know anything with a Shanahan backfield yeah definitely um Kenyon Drake looks like he is going to miss a couple of weeks obviously if you're somebody that has Chase Edmonds I think that you can put him into your lineups I mean Edmonds looked superb when he was given um opportunity against Seattle last night there's a lot of things we've liked about him in the past and this is an offense that looks like it's going to continue to put its players in chance to score points. I mean, I would say like it's uh, more than I'd say like you almost must put him in your lineup if if you have him. Like I mean, with, especially with so many running backs injured, um, you probably don't have three other running backs who are better than Chase Edmonds, given the situation that he's in now. Now, of course, like I. He's on bye this week, so you have to wait a week. But, uh, yeah, as long as Kenyon Drake is out, I mean, Edmonds, he feels like a low-end RB1, maybe high-end RB2. But, uh, I mean, I think you would be getting the vast majority of the work that used to go to Kenyon Drake. Maybe Eno Benjamin, uh, you know, becomes an annoying presence in the backfield, but I really do think a lot of the work just goes straight to Edmonds. Yeah, at this point, outside of Drake and Edmonds, 
I don't think that there's been more than a combined maybe like seven or eight uh, rushing attempts or running back targets. So definitely um, a lot of optimism for Edmonds. Let's move on now to just some notes that I have from the weekend. We're going to stay in that Arizona-Seattle game. DK Metcalf was largely shut down other than a touchdown that caught got called back on a David Moore hold that could have won the game. Uh, but man, his effort on tracking down what should have been a pick six was absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, it was also really interesting. This is kind of notable, although I don't know how how actionable it is, but uh, that the Cardinals for most of the season have used um, Patrick Peterson just on one side of the field. But this was, I think like since week one uh, in week seven was the first game that they used him to shadow. Uh, And he was on Metcalf for most of the game. Uh, And like, it's, it's weird. Like I wouldn't say that Peterson has had a good season. Like he hasn't really had a, a good season. It's been an okay season, but he was really good in week seven uh you know and maybe that was just a function of um dre kirkpatrick was so bad and the other corners were so bad that uh wilson could just afford to go repeatedly to lock it and kind of ignore metcalf for most of the game and maybe that sort of makes patrick peterson look better than he actually you know performed but um i, I would say it was impressive that peterson was able to shut Metcalf down for the most part and we saw him do it I believe in week 16 last year too um and so you know maybe this is something kind of of like a blueprint not that like not that every corner can play like Patrick Peterson but like Patrick Peterson isn't really Patrick Peterson at this point you know like if you have a corner who's bigger and can play like that physical style that type of guy might be able to slow Metcalf down well on the heels of that performance last night Tyler Lockett is ranked second among wide receivers in PPR. Um, Two thoughts on the Seahawks wide receivers. It's looking to me like as far as scoring fantasy points go, Metcalf and Lockett look like they have to be one of the least top four duos in the league. Uh, And if it is possible that that's a blueprint, uh, do you expect that we're going to see now more games where maybe Tyler Lockett can just kind of explode like this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very much a a back and forth thing where it's in flux. And uh, I think it will be hard to be hard to predict when either one of them is going to go off. Um, But I think, you know, that in any given game, like there's a very narrow target tree. Targets will be funneled to those two guys collectively. Um, You know, maybe some games it will be split. Some games it will be heavily skewed towards one of the guys. But um yeah, I mean, it's it's those two. And I would say, like, they're they're the top two uh, in terms of, like, if you had to pick a duo. Uh, I mean, there's a case to be made, I guess, for Ridley and Julio. I don't know who else would be up there. Like, maybe you make a case for Thielen and Jefferson. I don't really think you can make a case for uh, Evans and Godwin this year. They haven't really performed up to that level. Like, Metcalf and Lockett, I mean, I feel like we have with those two guys, like, two top six wide receivers yeah i mean that surely seems possible um i'd want to just jokingly say Devonte adams and just pick a random receiver on the Packers <laughs> after yesterday yeah. right yeah yeah uh so i mean that that's a good one that that does work and if lazard comes back then maybe 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, Adams, 13 on 16 yesterday, 169 yards, two touchdowns. Um, with Michael Thomas out, who we're going to talk about later, uh, you know, it's it's hard, I think, to argue about Devonta Adams being the most dominant receiver that there is out there right now. So um, I expect more things from him. A duo that maybe we should take a quick minute to check in on, and I actually uh, sent over a question to Colm and Sean for Rotoviz Overtime, uh, but that duo is Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. We've now seen Kirk string together two solid weeks. Um, do you see that continuing, Matt? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've... I mean, I'm, like, not as enthusiastic about Christian Kirk as a lot of people, like, in the, the Rotoviz space. Um, I don't know. I mean, he had 37 yards on five receptions and eight targets. Like, sure, he got two touchdowns, and that's nice, but like, I don't know, 37 yards. Like, am I supposed to be excited about that? Like, no. And then the game before that he had, he had three targets, you know, like, I I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of blow up potential with Kirk. Like he, he could have these spike weeks. Um, but you know, he's been very boomer bust and that just, I don't know. That's not the kind of thing that really excites me. Right. So what I'm focusing on in the case of Kirk here is, did things change tremendously from when I started to really worry about his possibility of being a week-to-week contributor? And it was looking like the answer to that question was going to be no. Yes, he did get eight targets against Seattle, but like you said, only on the 37 yards. Granted, he did take two into 86 the week before, but you're just not going to be looking at two touchdowns each week. So while I do think he's back in the conversation of being a flex, maybe wide receiver three type of player, um, I am not going to kind of anchor myself to expecting these, you know, wide receiver two performances every week, maybe even. Um, I think his performance in week six actually did cross into that wide receiver one threshold. Um, We talked about Cleveland a little bit. Harrison Bryant had two touchdowns yesterday, something you shouldn't expect, but when there is a tight end that finds usage, it's always worth noting. Uh, Let's talk about Tom Brady quickly, though. Another solid game, four passing touchdowns. Uh, He ranks third in passing touchdowns per game among quarterbacks. Also had a rushing touchdown Thoughts on Brady and what happens now in that Tampa Bay offense with Antonio Brown and Brady getting back together after a very limited but somewhat successful sample in New England. So uh, it's hard to know if what we saw out of Brady last week and, you know, what we've seen out of him when he's been at his best, uh, if that's just kind of a result of a matchup, you know, like the uh, Vegas Raiders do not have a good defense. Um, you know, it's just, it's a little bit hard to know, but uh, Gronk has, it's, it's looked like he's found the like fountain of youth uh, over the past two games. Like Gronk is starting to look a little, a little more athletic. Um, they're not really using Mike Evans all that much. And like, I think they're kind of trying to experiment now with Evans to like figure out like, how can we, how can we incorporate him more into the offense? Um, which sounds like a weird thing to say because he's Mike Evans, but um, like they played him a season high 32 snaps in the slot last week. You know, like normally Godwin is in the slot, but they gave Evans many more slot snaps than they normally do. I, you know, I don't know. I think they're just trying to figure out how is everything going to work 
when you have Gronk and then you add AB into this. And I should say, like, there is just because of the players they have, I think they will be fine if Antonio Brown doesn't work out. Um, if he does work out, then the offense could be even better. Uh, and like they are, you know, you can very clearly see they're starting to round into form, but like, I don't know if they needed to add Antonio Brown. Like, I mean, I don't want to be like, Hey, Scotty Miller is great, but like, he's actually doing a pretty decent job of, you know, playing that John Brown role. Um, I don't know if they needed to add Antonio Brown. And like, there is the chance that, um, I don't know, like with Brown, things just go a little bit sideways. Like there's, there's the strong possibility. Everything goes great. Then there's also the possibility that like maybe the chemistry with Brown is a little bit off and you know, they funnel, you know, 12 targets to him per game because he sort of demands that, uh, but they're not efficient targets and then they just kind of get out of the rhythm that they've been building. So I, I don't know. It's probably fine. Uh, Brady has looked, you know, very good last week. And you can see that, like, he's he's rounding into form. Um, but I don't know. This could also go very badly. Yeah, well, there's a situation where there's still a lot of things changing just in that this team is is kind of coming together with a new quarterback. Um you know, Gronk there as well, some different faces in at running back. So it does feel like this is just another uh, piece to add into this changing puzzle. So will we, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. I had by the way, yep. by the way, though, like Brady with uh, 18 touchdowns and only four interceptions on the year, um, like he's having, I wouldn't say it's an MVP campaign, but like it's an MVP conversation campaign you know like like each year there's like clear guy and then there's like the second guy and then there may be like two other guys who are like oh and you know you mentioned this guy and that guy that's what that's where brady is right now he's in the like the the number three number four spot of like someone whose name should be mentioned in the conversation before it's quickly disregarded but like he's having an mvp conversational campaign Yep. And then when you look at, because this will definitely be part of that conversation, what's going on in New England, uh, things looked promising at the beginning of the season. Boy, has that changed. And from a fantasy perspective, I would be very, very afraid of trying to get any points from anybody in this New England offense right now until we see something that compelling that can change our minds. A um, lot more to get through. But okay. okay, go ahead. Sorry, quick quick question. Yep. Do you think that that means this is the time to buy low on, on New England? Like maybe you're just buying ridiculously low. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like maybe these guys never find utility, but I kind of think at some point they have to. Like this offense cannot be this bad. Or let me phrase it differently. I don't think it can be really any worse what we've seen and so if you can if you can acquire some of these guys by someone who's valuing them as if like what we've seen the past two weeks is what we actually will see out of them moving forward i think that would be pretty sharp because i i would expect that a josh mcdaniel's offense can improve that cam newton will improve and that we see julian edelman improve maybe Edelman's totally washed but I feel like there have to be some pieces of that offense that end up outproducing expectations right now 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you said, it can't get much much worse than it is. And it does feel like at some point they will be able to put things together, uh, but just not anything that would approximate, I think, what it was feeling like early on in the season. However, I think the position that I'd be the least attracted, well, other than tight end, at going at would be the running backs because we already know that's going to be a tough situation to make sense of even when things are clicking for the Patriots. So I I don't think that you're going to get a lot of utility even when things turn around trying to buy low on them. Maybe you do it on with Cam. Maybe you do it with Edelman. But I think you're doing that on a team where you're positioned to be able to make use of a player that could kind of just be filling a spot on your roster. But you're okay with that spot just kind of being dead weight and potentially turning into something. Yeah, I I think that's fair. All right, uh, quick break, but we will be right back. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31. What's up, listeners? This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next RotoViz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show. So, Todd Gurley ranks 16th in PPR. That is mainly on the heels of touchdowns where he ranks first in total touchdowns among running backs. Already has seven rushing touchdowns. Two-parter for you here. How surprised are you that Gurley has been this successful? And while that might not be the type of success Gurley would have had earlier in his career, I do think that some people were concerned that uh, things could go horribly wrong for Gurley in Atlanta. Um, but is it surprising? And do you think it continues? I don't think it's too surprising. And then that this was the, like the median outcome 
what you would have projected. This is roughly what you project happens 50% of the time. The problem is that, and like why he was so risky uh, in redraft leagues is that I think he has a massive floor, uh, like more than your average running back, like who carries, you know, typical like injury concerns related to the position. Like there were also concerns of like, what if the bottom just totally falls out with Todd Gurley and you know we haven't really seen him be all that efficient uh, as a runner or a receiver uh, but he is getting the touchdowns uh, and you know in an offense that is pretty good uh, he's going to be a little bit likelier than your average running back to have some touchdown luck so I think that's kind of what we've seen Um, you know I still don't think it's all that great of a year but you know good on you if you were able to uh, get Todd Gurley and you've survived to this point So the Chiefs crushed the Broncos, which makes it hard to make sense of how things may have worked out in the backfield in a more competitive game. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, eight rushing attempts, four targets, Le'Veon Bell, six rushing attempts for 39 yards. Can we really do very much with this as we try to look forward to the coming weeks? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think we see is that um, Edwards-Alaire is still at least at this point like still the lead back um you know that's good but i don't think we can read too much into into what we saw okay uh fair enough um this was just a note that boy we've seen some backup running backs doing really well we already mentioned chase edmonds giovanni bernard from a real life perspective i wouldn't say uh you know looked incredible or anything but fantasy point wise sure put together a good performance for teams also had jamal williams and boston scott seems to me like it it is pretty notable that we should talk about the success some of these backup running backs have had when thrust into action yeah, I mean, it feels like a very Rotoviz zero RB season, which, uh, you know, is great for the brand. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's that surprising. You know, like all of these guys, four guys that you mentioned, um, they're all in that sort of you know, Rotoviz zero RB mold, good pass catchers. So they're going to have some sort of role that's already built in anyway. Uh, and if they are able to you know, get the job one way or another, then they have that elevated chance of having a three down role. And we, I, th- I think we see that with all three of these guys. We especially saw it with, uh, with Gio and Williams this weekend. Um, all, all four of these guys, I think, could be in that high end RB2 to low end RB1 conversation as long as they are the lead back. Yep. And, just anecdotally, I would say that this this week was my best week of the season just across all of my teams. So it feels like um, we're definitely getting to that point of the season where if you went zero running back, it might be starting to really pay dividends for you. Of course, if you play a lot of teams, you come to realize that um, you know it's not going to manifest on every zero running back team that you have. Uh, We talked about Todd Gurley a minute ago. Let's take another quick minute to focus on David Johnson, who surprised us in the beginning of the season, still hasn't really had any monster performances, ranks 15th in PPR. How surprised are you that we do now sit this far into the season with David Johnson ranked 15 among running backs? I mean, everything I said about Todd Gurley just applies to David Johnson. Really, I don't need to say anything else. Just, you know, like, listen back to what I said about Todd Gurley. It, like, it all applies. 
Perfect. Um, if Chris Carson misses time, how interested would you be in Carlos Hyde as a waiver wire option to try to put into your running back core? Yeah, I mean, I I guess um, he's likely to be the guy. The issue is that he's not that great of a pass catcher. So um, I don't think he gets the full Chris Carson workload, but he would still be the, I think, early down grinder and probably still the goal line guy. So, I mean, you'd have to be interested in him. I think he'd probably be like low-end RB2, high-end RB3. Yep. Um, and, and while you were saying that, I was trying to get an update on Rashad Penny because if Rashad Penny did get back into the fold, that would be pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't look like there's any any clear information on that right now. Um, final question for you here. Um, Devonta Freeman left the game on Thursday early with an injury. Um, just general thoughts on Freeman. Would you say that he's been a disappointment uh, since he got thrown back into action or we, did you basically, did we just get what one would have expected? I think he's been better than I would have expected, you know, like minus the injury um, in, in week seven and by better than expected, I mean like he's gotten more of a workload. Like he hasn't been efficient uh, at all, but uh, you know, in week five, week six, he was getting 17 to 18 carries you know, getting two to three targets a game, uh, especially in the bye weeks. Uh, I mean, you can't turn your nose up at that, even if a guy isn't being efficient. So uh, I'm, I would say injury aside, I think you have to be pleased with what he did in his two weeks as a you know, like clear lead back. Uh, but of course, like we just don't know what's happening with his injury situation. And uh, I mean, I think it's going to be a little bit hard to trust him moving forward because he, you know, for a while has been the kind of back who just gets injured uh, and then plays through injury, but isn't playing highly efficient. And then he doesn't get as much volume and then he's just kind of useless. Right. Um, does Wayne Gallman, who got thrown into action, picked up uh, a rushing touchdown and uh, 34 yards on 10 carries, also added five wrecks on five targets. Does he become a feasible waiver wire option? I'm going to say at this point in the season, he kind of has to be just because that's where we are, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we have to, you know, if there's enough carnage and uh, during the bye weeks, you know, there are enough teams out that uh, almost anyone who is getting double digit opportunities becomes someone who's viable. Yep. Um, all right. Let's move in now to just some more like long term type of questions. I talked about it last week, said we would get to it. We saw Brandon Ayuk put up 17.5 fantasy points on 6 of 7 for 115 yards for San Francisco on Sunday. Just another solid performance from this rookie class. How good is the 2020 class of rookie wide receivers? Uh, I mean, I think it's good. I think it it stacks right up there with, you know, some of the best that we've seen. And last year's class was, uh, I think, very good, very undervalued entering the draft. Uh, and then, you know, we saw how prolific it was. But um, this year's class, I mean, we've been impressed. Uh, Justin Jefferson looks like he could be, you know, a, a Stefan Diggs one-for-one replacement in Minnesota. Uh, you know, Jerry Judy hasn't flashed quite as much as he would have wanted, but, you know, th- there are some encouraging signs. C.D. Lamb looked great uh, before the DAC injury. Henry Ruggs has flashed. Ayuk, you mentioned, and then, you know, Higgins 
came out of nowhere uh, in week three. And then since then, he's really been a pretty good part of that since he passing offense. Uh, Chenault, he's been inconsistent, but, uh, you know, there's some potential there. Uh, Mims, Denzel Mims looked good uh, in his first week of action last week. Uh, and then, of course, like Chase, Chase Claypool as someone who is available in the second round in some leagues in the third round. I mean, that guy's been an absolute revelation, you know, minus, uh, you know, getting it was only like two targets last week. But uh, that guy looks like he could be a, you know, Metcalf-esque type of talent in the second half of the season and going into year two. So I've been really impressed. And that isn't like Gabriel Davis, who was a, a fourth rounder. It doesn't even talk about him. And like, he's been a pretty good, uh, like rotational receiver and injury fill in for Buffalo. Uh, so, and then Tyler Johnson, uh, who is a fifth rounder, uh, he's flashed a little bit in Tampa Bay. Like this is a really good class and I would say like nothing that has been done through the first seven weeks of the season would lead, I think, anyone to to believe like, oh, this class was oversold. Like people were making too much about this class entering the league. I would say for the most part, it's lived up to expectations. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because we haven't seen anything from any of the big names to rule that one of these guys just is clearly lacking something that we thought that they had. And there's a number of them in situations that look conducive to them growing and to developing. So that brings me to a one, one thing. Sorry. One thing. The worst you could probably say is uh, like, Edgar's been injured, you know, like that's probably the worst you could say. And honestly, if you had to pick one of the first round wide receivers to say like, not so sure about this guy, it, it probably would have been Rager. Like, I know he had the early breakout age, but he did almost nothing his final season at TCU. And at the Combine, he wasn't nearly as fast as everyone thought he would be. That's not to say he, he doesn't have the potential. He certainly does. But, um, like, I think he was probably the weakest of the top six wide receivers drafted. And for the guy who's the weakest to be the one who hasn't done anything to this point is sort of like to be expected. Yeah, you know what's funny? I keep forgetting that Fulgum um, does not belong to the 2020 class just because we basically you know, didn't see I, anything if, yeah. anything from him last year. Um, I would have expected that it would have been Rager playing the Fulgum role, which is funny to say, but he's been pretty impressive. Um, but back to the 2020 class, if we zoom out and think about ourselves being in a dynasty startup, how many of these guys do you think you're going to be trying to get as within like your top four picks at wide receiver? And I know that's a really wide open question, but feel free to kind of take that <laughs> yeah. and go a different direction. I, I mean, four. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't you? I mean, don't so like big picture dynasty. Don't you try to go young? Don't you try to build a wide receiver? Yep. No. And like, if that's the case, why didn't you just sort of siphon as many of these guys as you could in the first four rounds of a startup draft? I mean, I think that would be one very viable way to approach it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's certainly, in comparison to a lot of years, if I'm trying to specifically target young players from a specific class, 
I'm feeling as good about doing it with these wide receivers. I, I think really as much as I have at any time in recent drafts, maybe going back to like 2014. Um, then of course there's the conversation about if you're building the team, what should you do to start it off? How heavily should you be going into running backs? But really what I wanted to get at was just the fact that this, it does feel like the type of class with some names that you are definitely going to be building around as like key parts of your, of your dynasty roster, hopefully for a number of years. Yeah. I mean, CD lamb, Justin Jefferson, uh, potentially T. Higgins, I would say definitely Chase Claypool, uh, and maybe Ayuk. We just kind of have to see how how things progress with him. And then, of course, there's Judy. Like, I could see all of those guys being, I don't know, top 30, like at the wide receiver position, top 30 dynasty picks in startups next year. Yeah. And then, of course, you have Ruggs, who there's still a lot of season left to play and feels like the type of player who thinks could all, you know, could come together for next year. Um, So we will be paying attention to that. What did you think of uh, Tua getting the nod to replace Ryan Fitzpatrick as the Dolphins starter? And do you think that changes anything for Devontae Parker and company? Uh, It's kind of sad. Like, cause I, I like Fitzpatrick and I thought he did, about as much as any quarterback could do in that situation. Um, and, you know, so that that part's... And, he, like, he was, like, a good soldier last year for the team when things were absolutely horrible. Um, so given that they were 3-3, three and three, kind of hate to see him lose his job because, like, he didn't do anything to deserve losing the job. Um, but from from the institutional perspective... I get it because Fitzpatrick is not the future. And if you, if you have a future with Tua, you are going to find it either immediately, in which case you're at three and three, and maybe you actually compete for a playoff spot. And if you get there with Tua, that means something, you know? So like Fitzpatrick did a good job in the first six weeks of the season to set Miami up to be able to evaluate Tua in meaningful games for the rest of the year. So if you get there with Tua as your starting quarterback, you have to be thrilled if you're the Dolphins. And if you don't get there, if you lose games with Tua, then I think you're also fine with that if you're the Dolphins because uh, you just have better draft position and you gave Tua some pretty significant playing time in a year that doesn't mean anything. So I think it's a win-win either way for the Dolphins. I just really hate to see it from Fitzpatrick's perspective. And as far as the the question of like, what does it mean for uh, Devontae Parker or any of the other weapons? I don't know if it matters much at all. Like, uh, I, I mean, I think Tua probably won't be as smooth right away in operating that offense. Um, but I think Tua will probably still be productive because he has some, you know, some running capabilities. And I think eventually that offense will be performing close to where we are now with Fitzpatrick. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking um, as far as the other players go. And obviously, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen when you bring in a new quarterback, uh, especially one like Tua where I could picture him being a player that just doesn't pan out. I could also picture him being really good. So he is going to be facing the Rams, the Cardinals, the Chargers, Broncos, Jets, 
Bengals, Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, Bills. There's some games in there for them to win. Like you said, the playoffs are still in play for them, even with Tua in there. Uh, Another quarterback-related question for you here, Matt. In Dynasty, who would you rather own, Justin Herbert or Josh Allen? And, uh, okay, I I think Allen, because he at least has that high rushing floor, and he's done well enough, where I don't think there's going to be a situation where Buffalo looks to replace him at any time soon. Like, I don't think he's Blake Bortles or something like that. Um, you know, maybe he's sort of like, uh, I don't want to say like a better Ryan Tannehill, because that, like, I'm just saying, like, if we think back of what Tannehill was with the Dolphins, like, Allen is maybe a better version of who that guy was back then. And that guy is good enough to be a, a good fantasy starter for multiple years. Herbert has looked really good in, you know, I think five games of action. Um, But I don't know if he has quite the rushing capability that Allen does. Like Herbert certainly has the athleticism. He kind of surprised at the combine with how athletic he was. And he's been a better runner uh, than I would have expected him to be uh, entering the league. But we've seen Allen, even when he's played poorly, be a fantasy viable quarterback for multiple seasons. And then this year, he's actually now playing well. Uh, so I would, I feel like I would give the nod to Allen, even though I think Herbert is probably like the better real life quarterback. Yeah. And this was more a question just at getting a conversation going to give some context to what it feels like Herbert could be with Allen. You have a player that has developed, uh, nicely in his actual career and then has been a pretty decent fantasy option. Um, I also think that you have enough information about Allen at this point that you feel decent knowing what you're going to get. Herbert has been great. Um, And if you weren't paying attention over the weekend, 66 rushing yards and a touchdown on top of three passing touchdowns. So he's been good, but still it's only five games. It's hard to draw a tremendous amount of conclusions, but he has been really impressive and looks like out of the rookies, the best NFL passer and probably the best fantasy passer that there is. Um, you're starting an NFL franchise tomorrow. How many quarterbacks are you drafting ahead of Kyler Murray? Uh, okay. Well, here's a question. Um, what do you think of, of some of these rookies? Like, would you, do you feel that you've seen enough out of Joe Burrow, uh, or Herbert? I mean, we haven't really seen anything out of Tua, but yeah, do you think we've seen enough out of Burrow or Herbert to take him ahead of Murray? At this point, I don't think that we have. Um, yeah. But I, I actually am having a bit of an internal dialogue here with myself, and it's tough because I really enjoy watching Murray play. I like him. Um, you know, he's a lot of things on the field that are really exciting. Um And I think he's good, but I could picture Herbert or Burrow potentially growing into something that's better than Murray, given what we've seen from them as rookies. Not to say that Murray wasn't good as a rookie, uh, but it was also hard because he was on a team that was very much in flux, I feel like, when he was a rookie. Yeah, so, okay. I think I would take him... Obviously, I think you take Mahomes ahead of him. You take Jackson ahead of him. I think you take Watson ahead of him. Um, 
then there's a question of like Dak like with the ankle and then Dak, you know, was a little bit older when he was entering the league. I think he was 24. So like, do you take Dak ahead of him? But I would say like, he's, he's top five. Yeah. Me I don't too. think you take, I don't think you take Wilson ahead of him. Although like, I think you could probably get like, it's borderline. Like, I think you could probably get uh, two to three really good years with Russell Wilson. And maybe he extends his career in like a Tom Brady esque fashion where he's like playing into his forties. And at that point, like then I think it would make sense to take Wilson, but like, we don't know if we're going to get that out of him or not. So I would, I would probably lean a little bit towards Murray, like knowing that I'm just sort of like hoping that, uh, we necessarily don't get that long tail out of Wilson to sort of justify taking Murray over him. Got it. Yeah. I think the Wilson piece is really intriguing. I'd like to go into that a little bit further, but I think it's more important that we get to this question in relation to Michael Thomas. Are you panicking? Yes. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Uh, He's injured now and it's like different injuries. Uh, And then there are the reports of, you know, maybe he's going to be traded. The team isn't really pleased with him. He's gotten in a fight in practice. This is, uh, I mean, this this feels like, it's not exactly like Terrell Owens, but uh, it's kind of like that. It feels a little bit like that, where you have this star receiver uh, who should be on the field, just absolutely dominating, but for one reason or another, he's not. And it seems as if there's like significant kind of locker room turmoil around him. Uh, so yeah, uh, given that he's not healthy, uh, given that um, the team might trade him in the middle of the season, and that typically doesn't work out well for a receiver. Uh, and then given that, like, even if he's on the team, uh, it looks like there might be a lot of upheaval like strife within the organization around him so like maybe he's not used the way he typically is given all of that like uh yeah i'm a little bit panicked about him i mean i think he's still a wide receiver one you know because like he's michael thomas you can't not have him as a wide receiver one but like i don't think he's a locked in you know like top three guy anymore yeah there seems to be something strange about this situation going on he's now just been sitting on your bench if you're in a redraft league i think that you should really be trying to unload him um even if you're only getting a return that feels like 75 80 percent of michael thomas i think you do it because it does feel like there's a very likely outcome where you're missing a couple more weeks and he's just sitting on your roster really not doing anything for you it's a trickier consideration in dynasty uh but yeah i mean i am super panicked about michael thomas and something just feels off about the situation yeah i mean according to adam Schefter, it is a grade one hamstring strain so he's probably going to miss week eight and it might even be longer than that yep all right we're gonna round things out here uh by me quickly asking how optimistic you are about these guys And before we get any snarky answers, I'll just give the caveat that we're looking here for players that you're not necessarily going to be over the moon on, which is why I'm not asking you questions like, uh, you know, are you optimistic about Travis Kelsey? Okay. 
Okay. Fair enough. Cole Beasley ranks 29 in PPR per game. Uh, just coming off a game with 15, or wait, he ranks 15 in targets and 16 in receiving yards. We talked about Josh Allen. How do you feel about Cole Beasley rest of the season? I mean, I think he's a a high floor, uh, low ceiling type of player, but like, you know, I don't know. I'd say like maybe poor man's like Jamison Crowder or something like that. Like he's he's been much better uh in in buffalo than i would have expected and been used much more than he was in dallas he had 106 targets last year uh he you know might approach that number might hit that number again this year uh so i mean he's certainly viable yeah i view cole beasley as one of those players that falls into the falls into the mold of completely unexciting, but on any given week, if you need to scramble for a flex, he's one of those guys that you can just give it a shot on because enough times he manages to at least get enough points that it's not going to sink your team. Antonio yeah. Gibson, in future seasons, how are you feeling about him? He's a rookie that we haven't spent too much time talking about. Love it. Absolutely. I, I'm totally encouraged by uh, what we have seen so far out of Antonio Gibson. Uh, it, it feels very sort of like rookie David Johnson uh, in that he's been productive, like reasonably productive, and like we so clearly have not even seen the best of him yet. Um, how many like how many yards is he pacing for this year? So I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I have, like, yeah. Like we could be talking about a guy who has like 1,200 yards from scrimmage, and like people are acting like he's a total disappointment. Um, when he actually starts performing at the ability we know he has, just based on his athleticism, uh, his college production, his uh, his draft pedigree, when he starts performing to that level. Uh, he's going to explode. So I'm very encouraged by what we've seen this year. And uh, he's someone I would actively want to invest in for the future. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to go off and say that it's a guarantee that he's going to explode. But I think the important thing to focus on is there's a player who that could be in the path um, or there's a lot of scenarios where he does take a step forward, maybe even a significant one. And I don't feel like that's getting priced into the value that people are placing on him right now. So I think yeah. that um, that's one of the things that makes him an exciting player to me. The final player. Here, yeah, here's, sorry, ahead. here's one yep. more way of thinking about it. People are complaining about him as if he's not getting enough work and like, oh, he's a game script dependent back. He has 12, he has an average 12 carries and 3.3 targets per game. So he's averaging 15.3 opportunities per game. And like, we are all admitting that he's not being used as much as he could be or in like a, a manner that is commensurate with his talent. Like whenever he actually does reach his potential, he's going to have like 20 plus opportunities per game. Right. And keep in mind that this is a player who it wasn't even clear that he was going to be a running back in the NFL. Yes. Right. Yeah. So the fact that he's already gone in and taken that usage on a team speaks a lot about what could be in his future, I think. So I'm feeling good about him. Final player, you can probably give a real quick answer. I know historically you have not enjoyed talking about him. That's Corey Davis, ranks 27 in PPR per game, saw 10 targets against the Steelers. Obviously, he's playing the two behind A.J. Brown, but has had some decent performances this year. Three targets 
that goes to Corey Davis is a crime against humanity. <laughs> we can leave we can leave it at that. Oh, all right. That does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Indeed and Bet Online for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses don't forget to use promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all one word bet online your online sports book experts sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.